is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, Joe, my co-host Nick and Dan, and gentlemen, uh, we got another Matt Law special in the books, which is exciting, Dan, because um, look, Matt's in Dubai. He's on the ground. We get to see it live in action. So it'll be it'll be good covering off on the Club World Cup with him, won't it? Well, it will. And uh, Matt, we're glad you made it there safely. I mean, world travel is still a little bit of a, a challenge. But uh, how have your travels been so far? And uh, are you enjoying your time there at the moment? I am enjoying my time. I've actually, I've just had to take my uh, day four PCR test today, which I'm waiting on my result on. So I'm hoping that I don't have an extended stay. And that is no offense to Abu Dhabi, which is, uh, has been an excellent host. But I would like to to go home on Sunday after the final. So I'm crossing my fingers for that negative test that should come through any minute. Um, but yeah, the, the travel is a little bit more challenging here. You have to take a couple of tests and then you have to also test for the airline to get over here. So there's a lot of testing in comparison to other countries. Um, but once you're here, it's easy to get around. It's not too big. The traffic's not too bad. The weather's been decent. The taxis are easy. Uber runs over here, which is handy. So I don't even have to get any cash out for the taxis. Um, yeah, it's been been easy. And it's all been in, uh, because Chelsea only came in in the semi-final and into the sub-final. It's only been in one stadium as well. So, you know, you're not having to move around stadiums and venues at all. Nice. Well, that sounds good. Um, all right. Well, I think, honestly, Nick, we can just jump right into the Club World Cup and follow up on the matches. Uh, obviously, we did our match review last night, so uh, surely there's going to be some crossover on what we talked about versus maybe what Matt is seeing. Yeah, I, I guess we'll we'll save Lukaku for a little bit here, but just overall thoughts on Chelsea's performance uh, against Al-Hilal yesterday. I mean, is there... Is there anything out of that that you were like, man, this team's coming into into some form? <laughs> Not really. Um, it was quite an average performance. Although what I would say is I've been speaking to some people at Chelsea today. We've been out and adapt about doing some media work and, and managed to speak to some some Chelsea employees, should we say. And um, the feeling there was not that the performance came out of any kind of uh, complacency or any kind of not caring they actually argued the opposite. They said they've done so much work on drilling it into the players that this competition is huge for the club because they are determined to complete the full set of trophies. And they are drilling it into the players that Roman Abramovich sees this as an extremely important tournament um, and the sponsors see it as an important tournament and that there's a lot of pressure on it for them because... You know, Club World Cups for Chelsea come around every 10 years at the moment. You know, this is not a competition you can lose and think we'll have another go next year. And they actually thought that maybe they'd put a little bit too much pressure on the players when they saw the performance because they thought the players actually looked a little bit nervous. It's something um, that was referenced in the press conferences after the game. And then, yeah, as I say, we were speaking to people today. It was a theme they were talking about that they thought they'd actually made the players a little bit too nervous. Um which I thought was an interesting... I hadn't really thought of it like that. I'd assumed that maybe there's a bit of complacency when I looked at the performance last night. It wasn't very good. There were good parts of it, though. Kepper again, uh, doing really, really well. Uh, Kovacic, obviously, playing very well. And I thought there was... We're going to come on to it, but just to touch on it, I thought there was positives to be had in, in Lukaku and Havertz. So I think they will hope that that's there's enough there to take them into Saturday to produce a much better performance. You've got to remember as well, I mean, you come over here, they came over here a day earlier than me 
but I've been having problems with the time adjustment. You know, I, I can't really get to bed before 2 a.m. over here because on my UK clock, that's 10 p.m. Um, and I'm still waking up at kind of 8, 8.30. I'm not getting an awful lot of sleep. And I, I think there's been problems within the squad of getting to sleep and, and not being able to get to sleep and then waking up earlier than they'd wanted to. And, and footballers famously usually manage to nap in the day as well, which I find impossible. I wish I could nap in the day. Um, but I think they've struggled to do that over here as well because they're body clocks. So I think you do have to take a little bit of that into account. I think... Um... Yeah, the ability to nap is actually a superpower, Matt, and that's why we weren't professional <laughs> footballers, so we'll chalk it up to that. Um, yeah, we were pretty much on that with the match. Um, I think the reports coming out about the nerves and kind of like the pressure they put on it was an interesting angle, you know, maybe that we hadn't thought about and some things like that, but, um, you know, they're coming off of the break, you know, just had the FA Cup match, which again... When we saw the lineup for that FA Cup match, you know, the word was that Tuchel was putting on a strong lineup because he wanted to go in um, ready to go with the Club World Cup. You know, he didn't want to play a lot of the reserves, uh, maybe mm. some of the academy guys in the FA Cup, and then have yesterday's match against Ala be the first real minutes for mainly, mm. you know, a lot of those first teamers. So, um, you know, I think that that, that timing and build-up is, is something that, that plays a part of it too. If you look if you look at the football in the way, I mean, I've been lucky enough because I've been out here and, and not an awful lot to do in the evenings. I've, they have all the Premier League on over here and I've not been able to sleep that well. So I've, I've watched an awful lot of Premier League football. There's been a lot of rusty performances this week following the break. There's been rusty defensive performances, rusty attacking performances. It, it's kind whatever, of natural. There's whatever Manchester United's trying to do. I mean, it's... Tottenham, <laughs> you know, just... So they, Exactly. My my team threw away a 3-1 lead last night. But it's been a theme, I think, of the week. You know, the Club World Cup has in some way reflected it with Chelsea. And it's been a theme of the week that the Premier League, that you can tell that there's been a break and there's some rest. Just for all, the guy, all, for all they wanted a break and they wanted a rest, it still creates that sort of rustiness within them. Um, well, yeah. So looking ahead to the, the final, obviously playing Palmeiras from Brazil, for the match, you were just talking about how one of the reporters was asking Kovacic, um, essentially explaining the fact that, like, and South American teams love this competition, take it super seriously. You know, they're going to want to come out flying. Obviously, my guess is most of us don't know much about them other than they're green and white. Maybe Kennedy will have some intel since he was playing down in Brazil uh, very recently, which might be, like, the big, the the most, like, would you say like slice like big brain move by Chelsea to like bring in a Brazilian <laughs> league expert right before this? Um, but anyways, Palmeiras, it's it's you know huge competition for them and they're going to come out fighting. I mean, do we know what kind of level to expect out of out of a team like Palmeiras? Well, look, um, I haven't seen Palmeiras play. I'll be totally honest with you. So I, I I'm kind of in the dark over what to expect uh, from how they'll play. But what I do know from speaking to Brazilian journalists out here and just from learning a little bit around the tournament is. This sounds weird because you have to win this to get into it, but this is their Champions League final. This is the biggest final for them that they could possibly be in. Um, it's absolutely massive. You know, they got on a ridiculous send-off uh, when they left. We've heard reports that people sell their cars and uh, remortgage houses to, to be able to get out to the, the Club World Cup. You know, that this this is the competition that they will do anything for. My hotel, I've seen a few Chelsea fans, but there's lots of Palmeiras fans on the streets uh, in Abu Dhabi. You only really see Palmeiras shirts. 
they wear their shirts 24-7. I mean, they've either got a lot of shirts or they're washing them in the bath or I really hope so not, but or they're not washing them and they're just wearing them every day, all day. But it's, 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 surprise, it's taken me by surprise how huge it is for them. I knew that this competition was seen differently around South America and Asia than it is in Europe and England, but I, I wasn't ready for how big it is in Brazil and how important it is. It is the match for them and their fans. They'll be feeling how Chelsea did before a Champions League final. And, and just to add to that, I think that they're, they're estimated to have about 15,000 fans in the stadium on Saturday. Uh, the stadium, I think, holds about 31,000. I'd imagine Chelsea will have a few hundred. Um, so it's going to be very much a home match for Palmeiras as well. All right, just the way we like it. Uh, <laughs> you know, hostile ground, hostile territory uh, going into the Lions Den. Uh, one of the things that uh, we, we did chat about last night, and uh, you kind of put the tweet out there that you think Kepa's done enough to start the final. Uh, do you think he will, or do you think Mendy takes back over duties? What's the what's the word on the street? My opinion is is that I think he deserves to start the final. What I think is probably more likely is that Edward Mendy starts the final. I'm looking at it sort of uh, slightly romantically and passionately that he's, he's played about seven games over the last month. I think he's kept something like four clean sheets, three or four clean sheets. Um, he played really, really well last night. In the second, He didn't have an awful lot to do in the first half, but second half he made a couple of really good saves. I think that's a mark of a keeper in really good confidence who can have a quiet match and then have to make some big saves. So for me, he's done enough to deserve it. But th this is the Club World Cup. This is a competition they're taking incredibly seriously. And it's been pointed out to me uh, today, you know, if, if Barcelona were in the final of this competition, would they rest Lionel Messi? No, they wouldn't. If if Liverpool were in the final of this competition, would they rest Mohamed Salah, who's just been away, obviously, at AFCON as well? No, they wouldn't. Chelsea have the guy who's been voted the world's best goalkeeper in Edouard Mende. So it leads me to believe that there's a very good chance Edouard Mende will actually come back in for this game. Um, which I think is harsh on Kepa, but he, he'll know the score and he, he seems to take these things well. His attitude has actually been incredible. For a guy at the start of his Chelsea career who looked like he had a questionable attitude when he famously refused to come off in that Carabao Cup final, um, his attitude ever since going through his tough times has been absolutely incredible. Um, so I, I would like, I for the, for the story and the journalist in me and the sort of romantic in me, I would like him to start the final. I think it's probably more likely that Mendy starts the final. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of came to that conclusion, um, although I, I kind of took the romantic version of that as well because, uh, yeah, it's, it would, it's just going to be harsh on one of them, right, if they don't start. Um, but, you know, I think Brandon Dan made the point that it's best 11 on, on Saturday. You've got to play your best 11. But you can't, as a club, you can't go around telling everyone and telling the players and telling the press and telling everybody that this competition is really, really, really important and that Abramovich is desperate to win it and that it, it's a massive honour. It would be a massive honour for the club to complete their set of trophies um, and be able to say the world champions. You can't go around saying that if you don't play your best 11. So when you look at it dispassionately, that completely makes sense. Well, and plus, we need to add to the title champion of Europe, champion of Africa, champion of the world, Edouard Mendy. It just really just rolls off the tongue. 
He will want to do that as well. You know, players care about those kind of things. He will want to be able to say that. You Like you say, champion of Europe, champion of Africa, and then imagine adding champion of the world. I mean, he it, that will be in his head. That's, that's how footballers are wired, and that's how they should be wired. Uh, so you've done some traveling. What are the chances you think Tommy T could actually make it for the final? based on all of the hoops and, and things you've jumped through to get there? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously I'm not quite sure when, when you're putting this pod out, guys, so I don't know whether by the time I, I talk it'll be an overtaken because we could find out um, early tomorrow morning. Um, my understanding is, is that there was a test, or there is a test. I mean, it all depends on what time he takes it back in England and time differences. But there's a test today were he to test negative today they can probably get him on a flight uh either overnight or first thing in the morning to get here in time uh so there's a chance but it's impossible to predict because you're predicting whether he tests positive or negative and i can't predict science i'm afraid i wish i could um but he he obviously hasn't tested negative yet um and you have to you have to do two tests put in two tests to test negative um and then yeah he would he will come on a jet on his own they wouldn't risk putting him on any sort of uh even any sort of private jet that has other people on they would take no chances whatsoever he would literally ride in a plane on his own all the way to Abu Dhabi seven hour flight from London um so yeah they're crossing their fingers that he, he posts a, positive, uh, a negative test should I say if he doesn't test negative by Friday morning it pretty much becomes impossible with the seven hour flight time, with the fact we're four hours ahead. If he hasn't tested negative by Friday morning, they might have to give up on it at that stage. I don't think you can realistically have him test negative on Saturday morning and get him out for the game in the evening. I mean, you might just be able to, but I can't see them doing that if I'm honest with you. I think I think if he hasn't tested negative by Friday, he's probably not coming. So, what is the logistics of it right now? It, you know, Chelsea put out a shot that you know Tom Stuchel was on a team's call from the stadium. I guess I assumed it was kind of like Jose Mourinho in the hotel room with an earpiece direct to the the bench, where you know he's kind of conducting from afar. But it sounded like Zolt said it was more of a halftime and final time. Mm. It wasn't like a live feed into his ear from Thomas Tuchel. Is that how you're understanding it? Yeah, that's how I understand it. I think that he gave a some sort of team talk at the hotel before they left for the ground because they were worried if the ground's Wi-Fi or data or whatever. You know, you, it can be tricky at grounds sometimes. They couldn't rely on that. So they did something from the hotel. Then I think he spoke to, he was in constant touch with coaching staff over kind of WhatsApp and, and calls. Um, and then, as you say, he let them get on with it in the game. So first half, he let them get on with it. They had a, they had a call at half time. I don't, I don't know whether he addressed the whole squad at half time or whether he just addressed the coaching staff and sort of agreed what they were going to say to the staff. I'm not clear on that. Um, and, and then a debrief at the end. They were going to have a debrief once the coaching staff got back to the, hotel and, and ordered themselves a glass of red wine i suspect so um yeah the, he's not been he's not micromanaging it he's not uh as you say they're not getting everyone wired up and him just telling them what to do that that's obviously he's decided that's not his style yeah oh i'm kind of surprised actually but good for him uh trust the team so all right we're gonna take a quick ad break when we're back uh 
this might surprise everyone. We're going to talk about Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> so thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. That's right, Nick. Romelu Lukaku. Uh, we talked about him on the previous one, but um, you know, I think a lot of fans are looking at him because of his price tag, maybe because the lack of goals and things like that. Um, but realistically, all eyes have been on him for a little bit. And uh, look, he did that article. He did the interview. So I think that's really where like the fans are divided right now on, well, if he just scores goals, we'll forget about it. But he's not. So here we are. Yeah, I mean, Matt, he he obviously got the tap in last night. Um, and there was some positive play out of his performance, no doubt. I mean, some better stuff than we'd seen uh, than the previous couple of matches, which is pretty dire. But overall, I mean, wasn't the spearhead that I think most Chelsea fans anticipated when he moved uh, to the club back in the summer. You know, the fact that Havertz is back involved now, at least, in, you know, we're talking about this match and not the, the future state, right? But Havertz back involved looked relatively sharp for the first, you know, 60 minutes or so. Um, you know, did have a couple of really nice breaks forward. Uh, is there anything here in your mind after watching them for the entire season that you're seeing like, oh man, they're like a click away from, you know, really starting to put it together. Or is this still pretty stop start for you? I think there are a few clicks away still yet, but I think, I think they took a small baby step forward last night was my, my opinion. I thought, I thought he was uh, the encouragement for, for me from Lukaku's performance last night and Chelsea's performance in terms of using Lukaku was he was way more involved than I've seen him for a long time. You know, he's often only touches the ball sort of 20 times in a game. We, we keep seeing stats of how little he's been touching the ball. He's touched the ball a lot last night. He, he, he was involved. He was heavily involved. He was, he was central to all of their attacking play. They were trying to put the ball into him. They were trying to find him. He was trying to link up a lot with Havertz. There were a lot of attempted one-twos or a lot of attempted passes to each other. He's still lacking in, he's put so much pressure on himself now and with not scoring many goals, you can see he's lacking in confidence. I still think he's lacking in a little bit of fitness as well. Um, but yeah, there was a little baby step, I thought. They they involved him much more. I do, I've said this on this show before, that I, I think that one of the keys to unlocking Lukaku might be having Havertz near him more often. I, I think that suits him more. And I also think that he wants a regular partner, you know, that Thomas likes to change that sort of two behind striker quite a lot. I think Romney would much rather have a regular guy near him who, who he can build something with. And I get the feeling that he thinks that guy is Havertz. It was noticeable last night that CH stayed further right than Havertz did left. If you see what I mean, Havertz was, was trying to get closer to Lukaku all the time. So there were, there were little bits and bobs. I, like I said, I, I actually thought there was encouragement to be taken. Um, but he's not one click away. He's not one click away. I don't think you can say, oh, yeah, you know, he's one goal away or one click away from from all of a sudden sparking. I, it, it's gone on too long for, it, for I think, as to hope that one moment will happen and everything will be fine. It's going to be a, a process. But it's a process the club seem committed to at the moment. Yeah, I think that's where my question was going to be, Matt, is that obviously, you know, the January window is shuttered, so we're not uh, doing all of our regular uh, rotating carousel of conversations, but, you know, Chelsea are going to obviously be looking towards the summer, thinking about the plans they're going to make, identifying targets. Do you think that they have 
any level of buyer's remorse at the moment, wishing they had gone down a different path or trying to figure out, like, you know, if it doesn't end up working by the end of the season, what maybe an exit strategy would be? No, I don't, actually, because I don't think they will think there is an exit strategy. I, don't, I think they'll be realistic enough. That I, I just don't see a realistic exit strategy. I think they will be committed on trying to make it work and trying to fix it. Um, and if it doesn't work or doesn't fix, they'll be determined of the fact that that, that is not their doing. You know, that will be deemed as being Romelu's problem, not their own problem. They want to sort it out. Um, I don't think they've got buyer's remorse. There's obviously still a lot of regret and frustration over that interview and, and what's that's done. And I think the club believe that Romelu's just brought so much pressure onto himself. You know, he's just put so much onto his shoulders now with that because every performance, every movement is going to get dissected and analysed, every reaction, people are going to look for things in his behaviour. And the club is so frustrated that he's done that to himself because you see how that can weigh on players. Um, a bit like, weirdly, Kepa did early in his Chelsea career when he did, when, as I say, we talked about what he did in that Carabao Cup final as the world's most expensive goalkeeper. Um but I, I, I genuinely, from talking to a lot of people about it, I genuinely think there's a very strong commitment in Chelsea to to keep pushing on this, to keep trying to make it work. You know, Lukaku, after that, after the game he was left out for, he started every single game. Um, that, so they, they are committed to trying to make it work. They're trying to make it work and they will continue to do so, I think. And I do think they can. And it might even be that they think, you know what, we're going to need a pre-season with this. You know, we're going to have to get through as best as we can for this season, do as much as we can with him and get it working as best as we can. But we're not going to see the best of him until we've had a pre-season now where he can get properly fit, where we can work with him intensively and where maybe just with the space of a pre-season, some of the pressure on him will just dissolve a little bit. I mean, I guess... The larger question that I had on our on our uh, match review last night was just this system and how it's being played, right? You, I mean, you could argue <clears throat> last night that uh, Lukaku had some of the better service that he's had in, in recent weeks, right? There was a handful of balls put on a plate for him that he couldn't do anything with. Um, so I nicknamed him Mr. Service uh, because of that. But at the end of the day, is like... My, I guess the question I pose to myself is, would this team in, in the current setup without our two-star wing backs and without, you know, you know, a ton of goal scorers right now, better off with someone like Kai leading the line and support behind him to high press and do all that kind of stuff? Or is this, is this just going to be the sad reality of the rest of the season where it just looks clunky <laughs> and tired? I mean, like, this isn't good enough for Chelsea, clearly. No, but... You say about Havertz, and I take the argument that Chelsea have some of their better performances have come with Havertz. Havertz is one goal in eleven. You know, this yeah. is, this isn't a guy you can. He's not a guy you can rely on to score any goals. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. However, however difficult Romelu is finding it, they don't have a guy who can come in and score a certain amount of goals because nobody's scoring any goals. Timo doesn't score any goals. Kai doesn't score any goals. Kai's performances fluctuate. Timo's performances fluctuate. There's no one really reliable to just turn around and say, okay, we'll put this guy in and we can get a reliable sort of seven out of 10 out of this guy for the rest of the season. Also, I think if you were to do that to, to Lukaku now, that 
I think you'd almost be accepting that you, you're going to give up on the guy because the problem would just get worse and worse, not better and better. He needs to get fitter. He needs to have his confidence rebuilt. He needs to feel like people still have faith in him. He's a bit like Didier Drogba in that. Didier Drogba was a lot like that. You know, Didier Drogba would occasionally give the odd crazy interview. He had to feel that everybody loved him. He had to feel like he was the centre of attention. There's, there's tinges of Drogba in, in Lukaku's character. And were you to leave Lukaku out for a length of time, I, it would just go horribly the other way. Horribly the other way. And they would end up having to toss him aside to the charity shop or someone because no one would come and pay them any money for him either. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't think that's realistic. That's not to say you can't dip him out occasionally, but I think more I think more the issue is who you play around him and how you play around him. Do you get someone a lot closer to him like Kai? Do you try and stick with one person longer with him to develop a relationship? Or do you actually keep chopping and changing everything around him and trying to get everything around him perfect and, and just hope at some stage things improve with him? Uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, clearly, Ziyech seems to be in favor, you know, right now. Um, so it's always been Ziyech Lukaku uh, kind of for, for a little while. And then, you know, it looks like Kai might get that run in there, you know, at the detriment of Timo, Callum, Christian, a lot of these other guys, which not what I would have expected at this point of the season. But, you know, the Tuchel's trying to do what he's got to do. Who knows what they're trying to build, you know, in terms of that chemistry and that fluid attack, Nick, you know, like clearly I'm sure they're, they're going to be working on it. Um, but a couple clean sheets, you know, there's some positivity going into it as well. But um, it, it's it's definitely a, a little bit painful, obviously, right now to see. Um, I remember the the shutout streak. That was fun. We should do that again. Just bury yeah, I mean, teams. Lord, Lord knows we're not going to score enough goals. So, yeah, you're going to have <laughs> to play well defensively. I mean, there's not really another choice. I mean, I, I was thinking about this last night, Matt. Chelsea's attack over the last five years, if you look at individual performances, it's really... Only Mason Mount this year and Eden Hazard, you know, obviously his last two years at Chelsea that have broken above what you would consider the threshold for their performances, like their, their mm. final results. The rest of the attack, I mean, over that time, it's it's just at times tragic. I don't know how else to say it. Like there's... You know, Lukaku is not anywhere near Torres at the beginning of his career where, mm. you know, he went all those matches without scoring a goal or whatever. So, like, let's not – I'm not being silly about it, but I, I wouldn't say that he's overperforming expectations either. And it's it's just weird that this team that can buy defenders and midfielders and have them put in incredible performances, goalkeepers as well, can't find a forward to do any sort of job. It's just insane. <laughs> it's when it's also it's, it's weird because I was going through this the other day, and you know, obviously people talk about the sort of striker number nine curse uh, in the sort of Abramovich era. And when you look at the guys who've been successful, the strikers who've been successful in the Abramovich era, it's really been when they've not gone the top money or the top top what you would deem at the time the top level. You know, Drogba wasn't the top level and the top money at the time. Um, Diego Costa, I would argue, wasn't the top level and the top money at the time. He was probably just a little rung below and he was on a clause. Uh, obviously, Tammy Abraham came from the academy and, and he, goals-wise, did very well. It's when they've gone the top money and who you think at the time is their very 
the top of what they can get has just gone wrong. I mean, going back to Shevchenko, Maratta, obviously Lukaku at the moment, Crespo. Uh, it just feels like when they do that, for some reason, it goes wrong for them. And I don't know why. I can't explain it. And it's, there's probably not one explanation because they've all got different sets of scenarios. I agree. I don't think Lukaku's at that stage yet. I really don't think Lukaku's at that stage yet. He's not gone the silly amount of games without scoring. I don't think he's going to either. I would actually back him probably to to start, even if he just starts scoring scruffy goals and not performing quite so well, he's still not performing that well. I still think Lukaku will score goals over the second half of the season. I don't think Lukaku's going to ever really go 10, 11, 12, 13 matches without scoring or anything like that. He might go four or five or or whatever, or he might have some very quiet games and score against so-called weaker opposition. But the guy's going to score goals, I think. All right. Well, looking ahead with, um, you know, we talked about Lukaku probably starting the final. We talked about um, Kepa. Any other lineup surprises you might expect from the match this weekend? I know we talked a lot about Aspie. You know, want to see the captain lift the last trophy uh, available to him. Assuming Reese James is there uh, to continue to train with the team, doubt we'll see him. No, they, they've said, unless they were telling Porky's to us, they've said that uh, that Reese James isn't here to play. Um, it's a bit of a surprise Reese James came out because Thomas said he wasn't going to, but I think they decided he's they didn't want him just sitting at, back at Cobham on his own. So and Chili B he's out here. Too. Yeah, and again, that's good. You know, it's part I've of the camaraderie the because because there is there is a sort of training camp. And it's very important, and this is not to take the importance away from it, but being away for a week, the warm weather, all in a hotel. I think the two 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 training sessions a day at the hotel. Um, there's a training camp feel to it, and you know, you, you don't want guys to miss out on that and what that can build in terms of camaraderie again. So I think the interesting thing, do they go back four? Do they stick with three? I thought Alonso was horrendous last night. I really did. I saw Thiago Silva give him a real dressing down in the first half. I think someone may have, I think Lukaku actually had words in the second half when he didn't get a crossover to him. I actually thought he was abysmal. I really, I'm, I'm not one to normally hammer Alonso, but I was shocked given the standard of opposition how bad he was. Um, and it's been that way for a while. Like, I mean, yeah. if, we, if we can be honest about it, that he has not put in top performances since Chilwell's gone out. What What really worries me about Alonso, because I've been watching this really carefully, whether it's the manager or whether it's a teammate, when they try and give him advice or a ticking off or, or telling him something in a match, I can only see what I see. I don't hear the conversations. But what I'm seeing is a guy who wants to ignore them. He's constantly just trying to sort of put his hand up, trying to ignore. He's not taking on the advice. He's not taking on what the guy, these guys are trying to say. What he's actually just trying to do is just trying to ignore them and get on with it, which I think is really worrying. I, I, I yeah, I'm Ziyech worried by Alonso. Yeah, Ziyech I don't will like not hear it from anyone. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't, I don't like it because it's okay sometimes when someone's playing really well and it's just you know the occasional thing, but he's not playing really well and he should be listening to people. Um, so I, I, for me, a dilemma for me, if I was Thomas Tuchel, would be whether to stick with the three at the back or actually go four and drop Alonso and bring in Saar at left back. I'd, I would be thinking about doing that um, because, like I said, I thought Alonso was abysmal. Um, and then I think they'll want Mount in the team and it's how you get Mount back in the team because even if he's not performing at his very best, he delivers. He's, he's actually... He's, he's the guy you can rely on. He will deliver an assist, whether it's even 
whether it's just from a corner or something, or he will get a goal. He is the reliable guy for Chelsea in terms of numbers and impacting games, even when he's not playing amazingly. So they'll want to get, I would have thought they'll want to get Mason back in the team and it, it's who who you drop for him really to do that. So I, I would have thought, I'd have thought back three, back four and Mason are the main sort of thinking points for them. Is N'Golo or Jorginho kind of the preferred pick, do you think, for, for Sunday? It's a really good question because the fact that Jorginho came off early made me think Jorginho plays the final because there, there, there wasn't a tactical or performance decision behind it, I didn't think. I just thought maybe we've, we've talked before that Jorginho's had a really busy schedule, really sort of uh, difficult kind of non-stop schedule. And it made me think, oh, well, Jorginho's playing the final. And then uh, it's whether they play Kante or Kovacic. So that might be a tactical decision. Like I said, I've not seen Palmeiras play. I'm going to be totally honest about that. They will have seen Palmeiras play because they're far more professional than I am. And um, that might come down to a tactical decision. I know that some opposition, they really don't like playing Jorginho and Kovacic together because depending on how the opposition play, those two can get caught out a little bit when they play together. I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, it, if you have N'Golo on your team, why not throw him on? Like the most <laughs> unbelievable insurance package. So I could also see Zoltz be like, why not? Like we've got him. Let's just put him on. Like you said, maybe save some minutes. So do you think it's um, N'Golo Jorginho in the final? Oh wow! You can't leave out Kovacic. I was going to say Kovacic is playing. Kovacic is playing so well. Play, Kovacic is playing so well, but usually you would look at it and think, well, the guy who played 90 against the guy who the guys who were given sort of a half each, you would usually think there's a theory behind that. But whether Kovacic played so well that you can't then leave him out, I, I don't know. I've got to be honest, I don't know. I, I, look, I, I definitely read it that Jorginho will start, and then I think it's a flip of the coin between the other two. Maybe maybe it's Kante to come on and, and see them through a game. Maybe you, you start with Kovacic and you bring on Kante to see them through a game, which Thomas has done quite a lot. And also, we're never quite sure on Kante's fitness, are we? You never you never quite know whether he's got one of those little nibbles and that, that they're worried about an inflammation. And when we uh, get back from this after a week off, uh, just, you know, a, a handful of matches left for Chelsea to do in uh, four or five-day turnarounds. <laughs> if your argument is best 11... For Kappa versus Mendy, then Ingol contact plays on Sunday. Ingol? No, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, all right, Dan, I think we have one last question roundabout to get to. Your favorite. Well, it's more because Matt's living in the future right now. He told us that the, the day doesn't go sour, which is good. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the only news uh, out of the uh, transfer market at the moment, uh, Sewell from. Uh, is going to go to, looks like, Dortmund, which is potentially a center back off the table. Um, any updates on center backs of note at Chelsea? Or uh, do you just want to round this one out with a nice little goodbye to our listeners? <laughs> um, no, look, there's, there's, it's been around in the press that another another sort of formal offer was made to Rudiger. I think it would have made him the, the highest paid defender in Chelsea's history at, uh, at around 200 grand a week. Uh, he has not accepted that. That's not to say he, he won't accept that. I think it will just... I don't see Chelsea going higher now on Rudiger. I don't see them keep making him contract offers from conversations I've had. I think they've said to him, right, 
here's your here's the offer. We will we, we are we will make you the highest paid player uh, defender in Chelsea history. It's two hundred grand a week. If you can get better elsewhere and you want to go elsewhere, do it because we're not going to go higher. We're not going to get into a bidding war against ourselves. Um, if there's an offer elsewhere that's better, fine. Um, so I think I, I think the offer to, to Rüdiger is probably final, but not in a kind of argumentative way, just in a, this is the offer now, you know, um, and now it's just up to you. Uh, similarly with Christensen, I think I said on this show, when I said I had that bit of info about the, the new agents who tried to take it back to start, they've been kicked out of the building. It's not going back to the start. The offer stands again. Does he want to accept that? Does he not want to accept it? So, yeah, uh, that, that's where we are with those guys. I never really saw Saul as someone I took too much serious interest in in terms of the rumours towards Chelsea just because I hadn't really been given too much steer on that or, or or anything. So I don't think that that's a blow to Chelsea. I don't think they've missed out on Saul. I don't, they probably looked at him, don't get me wrong, but I, I never saw him as a realistic one. I do think um, from a few conversations... To update on something, maybe I said two or three weeks ago. I can't remember when I said it to you guys. If if two go out, if two defenders go out or three defenders go out, I think they will look to bring two in. It won't be it won't be two out one in. I think it'd be two out two in. Um, I, if it's three out, I think they're just hoping it's not three out. I think uh, uh, I think I think two out of three is that what they're hoping will be the worst case scenario. And if it is two out, then then two come in rather than just one. So you just um, made me think of something as well, as far as like the fact we didn't reinforce, you know, some different things like that. Is it? It sounds like the Champions League fixture against Lille will be in France, and we know that they have some pretty strict vaccine and and COVID regulations there. Is that something Chelsea are kind of sweating a little bit? Because it sounds like there's still some. I don't want to say a lot, but there's definitely key players that are not vaccinated at this point. Yeah, there's definitely players some that are, are not vaccinated. Um, I think I, I checked on this today, and were those players who aren't vaccinated motivated to get vaccinated because of this? I am assured that there is enough. There would be enough time for them to get vaccinated to a stage that they could be allowed into France. So the guys who are who are not vaccinated now have not already sort of ruled themselves out of France. It's now whether they're prepared or want to get vaccinated. Now, whether there's some guys who aren't vaccinated out of kind of apathy, who might think, well, now I'm going to get vaccinated. If it's going to affect my football career, I'm going to get vaccinated. They can get vaccinated. I think there's one type of vaccination where they can get away with just having one vaccination to start with to get into France um, and start their what they term vaccination journey. Um, and you might be able to, I think you can sign a letter of intent or something that you will do or definitely follow that journey up. Um, but then there might be some who, who actually had it for, who haven't had it for more principled, what they would term more principled reasons who won't budge. But there is, there is time, you know, you, you conceivably, they could get them more vaccinated than they can play. You, there is time to do that. So if the players don't get vaccinated, if the players don't get vaccinated for Lille. They've done it out of choice, not because they've run out of time. Yeah, I I wonder, you know, obviously Chelsea has a relatively high vaccination rate. You know, it's somewhere in the mid to high 80s, I think. And it was published, something like that. So I, it's always a, a curious 
thing amongst, you know, a team dynamic, right? That you have, you'll, you'll take not a full strength team to play some of the most important matches that you'll play all season and how well, that might affect I, the, the locker room. It might be interesting. I, ma- I imagine they went out there and lost and got knocked out in a shock because it would be a shock if, if Lille produced a shock and, Two key players right now, Matt. It would be on par, I think. But (laughs) but and and two key players weren't there because of that. It it would cause a lot of controversy. And in a in a like you say, in a dressing room of say twenty five men, there will be people in that dressing room who would be very upset about that. And it'd be hard to. That that's just a fact. Whether it's a lot of men who are upset about that, or whether it's a few, but though it would cause divisions. It's you know it's only in a like to say in a squad of twenty five men, there would be people who'd be very upset and felt that certain people had let the team down. Well, again, it's like it's going to be pretty obvious when someone gets a knock right before Lille and you know is unavailable and can't travel. Like people are going to connect the dots too. So it's it's tough, you know. Like we're. Yeah, and that might might motivate people as well. You know, some of them, I said, some of the ones who might have just not done it through apathy might now have a reason to do it. And similarly, some who have been able to hide behind anonymity um, now probably can't because it will be so obvious. And that might well um, provide some motivation for them to just think, you know what, I'm just going to do this now. Who knows? Who knows? But it's, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, what Chelsea do have in their favour in the tie is that they play at home first. And I know sometimes you like to play away first, but in actual fact, in theory, because they're weaker opposition in terms of the Champions League, could Chelsea put themselves into a position where they don't have a lot to do in the second leg? Maybe. Although, as we say, they're not playing in a way that you would have confidence in them sort of... Uh, having such a lead for the second leg that you didn't need to worry if key players weren't there. Keeping life interesting. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Dan? No, I think we've rounded it. I think uh, now it's time to let uh, Matt Law end up on his uh, red wine or his uh, pint uh, in the evening here. <laughs> I've got a little bit of work to do first because weirdly it's it feels like the time of day now where I should be looking forward to a pint. But but back home at my office, it's still ten to three with the the paper very much live, and and so I've got to be careful. So I can't really, yeah, I can't really switch. I can't really start switching off over here until about nine nine ten p.m. So yeah, it's straight. It is straight. It is slightly strange days. It's don't get me wrong. It's nice, but you know I have half my day with everybody back at my office still asleep, and then. I, I have long, long days at the moment, but it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm enjoying being out here, actually. I've never been to a Club World Cup before, and I'm enjoying it. Nice. Get that sunshine, man. Well, hopefully, it's going to take me back to, uh, to another one next year, too. Wow. Well, we were talking about that because, you know, the, the, the motivation to win it, will it will they have to wait another 10 years if they mess it up again? That's, I mean, uh, crikey. Yeah. That would be... Cause when you t- and it would be so frustrating because now they really do just have the one trophy to win. And if they don't win it this time, funnily enough, the Club World Cup that no one's really cared about will start to become a little bit of an obsession that we keep missing this one trophy. We've got to get this trophy, but you've got it's blooming difficult to get into this trophy in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) The eligibility requirements are quite high, to say the least. Yeah, well, getting into the tournament is actually tougher than winning the tournament, isn't it? So, I mean, I think it will become a real frustration and bugbear for them were they to mess it up again. So... 
let's just tick it off. Let's tick it off. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Matt, for, for everything as always. Uh, glad you're enjoying the time over there and, and spend some of that with us and, and our listeners. So, uh, but that's going to wrap us up, you know, uh, and that's a full week of podcast for our listeners out there. We'll be back after the club world cup final fingers crossed with another trophy. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.